to read the first nine verses. The call of Abraham. It's on page 13 in the Church Bibles. The Lord has said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel to the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, that would be quite a testimony, wouldn't it? Abraham believed God. Would we say the same for us? What about this one? Thank you, David. Jeff believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we could go on, David. Come with the next slide, David. Thank you. Or we could go Neil, believed God. Or we could go Paddy, believed God. Perhaps the most important one is over this one, where it says, I believed God, and it was credited to me as righteousness. Will we be people who believe God? Abraham believed God. But the question, of course, is what did Abraham believe? What was it that Scripture says about Abraham that he believed God? Any ideas? What what happened in the story of Abraham that Abraham believed God? That God would provide a son, exactly, the promise of, Abra- of God to Abraham was that God would give Abraham a son. And the scripture says that Abraham believed God. If you want to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 4 for a minute, we're going to uh, read these verses. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. So that it might be by grace and may be granted to all Abraham's offspring. 
not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I will make you a father of many nations. He is a father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Abraham believed God. We could look at various uh, parts of Abraham's life this morning that showed us the kind of faith that he had. The way that he believed and trusted in God in what God asked him to do. But I want to think this morning not so much about the fact that Abraham believed God, but that Abraham believed God. Remember what we did when the children were still in. And I said that whatever we say about the Bible, we must say it's a story of God. It's a story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. But it's a story supremely of God. And what God is doing in and through these people. So we might say, well, why is it that Abraham believed God? What was it that God was doing that caused Abraham to believe him and put his trust in him? I want to suggest this morning two things that are part of our story Two things that God is doing. I want to talk about a call and a promise. At the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, you have a great long list of people. A kind of reading you dread being given in church, because it gives a list of names. And who their sons were and how long they lived. And it covers a long period of time. And suddenly, almost out the blue, in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks. And God says to Abraham, or Abram, as he was still called, leave your country, leave your family, your friends, and set off on a journey to a new land, to a place that I'm going to show you. 
and I will bless you as you go. And Abraham is faced with a choice. Will he stay where he is? Abraham was a wealthy man and life was good. And would Abraham leave all that he had to go off somewhere where the end wasn't even known? And Abraham had a choice. Would he take the easy option to stay where he was and all that was familiar or the hard option to follow God somewhere that was yet unknown? And to Abraham's great and eternal credit, he chooses to follow God. When it says Abraham believed God, we're talking about someone who says yes to God, who trusted God even though the future was uncertain and unclear and it meant stepping out from what was familiar and certain. Abraham said yes to God. See, who is the God that Abraham believed in? A God who calls. A God who calls Abraham a God who calls many other people. We have a God who calls. Calls us to leave the settled and the familiar and the known and sometimes to step out in faith into something new. So Abraham begins his journey. And Abraham becomes the first of many people in the Bible who go on a journey. And this idea of a journey becomes a, an important theme about how we follow God. We go on a journey with God. Moses, he went on a journey. The people of Israel, they went on a journey. Forty years in the wilderness, following God to the promised land. Elijah went on a journey. There's this great story in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah's just had this amazing experience where God has sent fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice that was covered in water. You know, a mountaintop experience. And then Elijah hits the depths and says to God, there's no one left, I'm on my own, it's not worth it. And God takes him on a journey. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes to Mount Horeb and there he meets with God. Not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in God's still small voice. And Elijah goes on a journey, a physical journey. He goes for 40 days. But I think there's a journey going inside as well to get to the point where he can meet with God. Jesus goes on a journey. Luke chapter 9, 51 says, Jesus set out for Jerusalem. Lots of things happen on the way, but he's on a journey to Jerusalem, knowing that's where he will die. And he calls his disciples to journey with him. God calls us, doesn't he, on that same journey. 
Sometimes it may be a physical thing where we have to go. But for all of us, it means sometimes leaving behind what is familiar and settled and known and stepping out into something new. We have a God who calls. Now, being settled can be a good thing. Next weekend is the first anniversary of us moving to Tame from Oxford. Almost been here a year. And of course, the question you always ask is what? Have you settled in yet? To which we want to say, well actually, yes, we feel pretty settled. You know, we've made friends, we've got to know our neighbours, the children have done really well at school. It's good to be settled and put down roots. But sometimes God calls us on, not to be settled, but to be pilgrim people, moving on. 20-something years ago now, I went off to university. We were talking before about uh, A-level results and the, the, the excitement of people going off. I went to university, I went to Durham. We lived in North London. And I was, I had no real plan, but I thought I would go to university, go back to London, get a job in the city. This was my expectation of life at 18. And God called me. Now, I went off to university thinking that whatever I did, it would not be to become a Baptist minister, because that's what my dad is. And I was going to do anything but that. And it took God several years for me to hear a call to leave behind something and journey on to something else. Paddy's heard God's call to go into a wider pastoral ministry. It would have been easy for Paddy to have settled as a youth pastor, which he does very, very well. But he's heard God's call to move on and to do something else. And sometimes that can be hard and difficult and it feels risky. But if we hear God's call, will we be people who say, Yes. What about this statement? Can I have the next one, David? Thank you. What about that one? Long Crendon Baptist Church believed God and it was credited to them as righteousness. Not, of course, do you believe in God and think God's a good thing. I'll take that for granted. But will we say yes to God? When God calls us on, unsettles us and says, there's something new, will we say yes to God? The big plan at the moment is a building, isn't it? And what will we feel when it's done? If, when, it's finally finished. Will we feel that the journey's over and we've gone to the promised land? Or will we be saying, well actually, where is God calling us to go? This was simply a staging post on the journey. And God is calling us on. Will we be people who will listen and respond and say yes to God's call? Abraham believed God. He said yes. It was credited to him 
as righteousness. A second thing. We talked about a call and we talked about a promise. And God gives Abraham a promise. God says to Abraham, I will bless you. And I will bless your, your family and your nation. The promise of blessing. But notice where the promise of blessing ends. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. And through you, all nations of the world will be blessed. The promise that Abraham gives to, that God gives to Abraham, isn't simply that he's going to be all right, but that through him, God will change the world. Now let's go back to Genesis uh, earlier on to, to understand this. Remember I said the Bible is a story of God supremely. Of course that's nowhere more clear than Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. God made all that there was. And then we know the story of Adam and Eve. But of course what happens here is that in response to human sin God judges them. He sends them out of the Garden of Eden. But notice a little verse there in Genesis chapter 3 that says, and God made for them garments to cover their nakedness. In the midst of God's judgment, God is giving grace. Judgment and grace. We see this repeated throughout Genesis. So we have Cain and Abel next. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel over a bit of jealousy in a fight. And God banishes Cain. Judgment. But God puts on Cain's forehead a mark to protect him from other people. Grace. Noah. We know Noah, don't we? The flood and the rainbow. Judgment and grace. Genesis chapter 11 then is a story of the Tower of Babel. This is the account of where the people got together and they built a tower so high they thought they could get to God in heaven. And God scatters the people. In that moment, the nations of the world are born. Before that, they spoke the same language in the story. Now they speak different languages and are scattered around the world. The nations of the world are born but how does God act in grace? Well, he calls Abraham. The people have been judged because of their arrogance and their pride. They have now scattered around the world, but through you, God says, you will be a blessing to the nations. So when God makes his promise in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, it's, this, it's responding to the judgment of Genesis chapter 11. This is God's way, a risky way of blessing all the nations by calling one person and by saying, through you and through your offspring, I will bless the world. This sinful, messed up, hurting world that I'm going to bless. And then the rest of the Bible, in some way, tries to work this out. 
You see, one of the problems in the Old Testament is that the people became quite inward-looking. They were set up with Abraham with this calling to the nations. But actually, it became very easy and tempting just to be, well, nice for ourselves. Worried about ourselves. And not worried about anybody beyond. And so God would send, from time to time, prophets to come who would speak God's word and call them back to God's original intention. Here's Isaiah, for example. Isaiah 49. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant? A touch of sarcasm here. God says to the people, you know, is it too small a thing to do what I've asked you to do? To restore the tribes of Jacob? To bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And God calls his people back to this vision. And then we find in the New Testament, we find Jesus, humanly speaking, this great descendant of Abraham, struggling with the very people who wanted to hold tight to God's love and God's grace. And whereas there were those people in the Jewish community that said, actually, this is for us and for those who are good, upright people, Jesus went to the tactics of the sinners and said, this is God's love. Challenging those people within society that wanted a narrow, exclusive view of who was in God's kingdom. Who God's grace was for. And Jesus burst it open and says, actually, God's grace is for all. It's not surprising that when you read the Gospels, both Jesus and the Gospel writers use so many quotes from the prophets. Because this was so much of Jesus' message. Wanting to break people free from this way of thinking that kept things in. That said somehow God's grace was ours. But not sending people out to share that grace with the world. And we know that temptation, don't we? It's all too easy and all too human to be happy for ourselves. To sing songs that we have been saved and we know God's grace and to become a bit exclusive and to think that actually this is fine. And sometimes we need to hear God's challenge that through you I will bless all the nations of the world. Isn't that what Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew's Gospel? Go and make disciples of all nations. Suppose we, suppose we wanted to say if he could put the Bible in a sentence and we chose a biblical sentence one sentence from the Bible what would we choose? I guess the most common one is to choose John 3, 
16. Have you got that on the PowerPoint? It's going back a bit. Whether we can find it. John 3:16. For God so loved the church that he sent it. Is that right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. You notice the echoes here of the story of Abraham. Sent to be a blessing to the nations. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Our God is a God who calls and our God is a God who promises. Who promises blessing for those who follow but promises blessing to the world. God's desire is to bless all nations. And God chose a risky path of choosing you and me to be part of that. In the same way that God chose Abraham. In that sense, we are Abraham's descendants. God said to Abraham, go and I will make you a blessing to the nations. And God says the same to us. And we must choose sometimes whether we will hold on tight to what God has given or go with open arms to share with the world. We have a God who calls and who promises. Will we say yes? Will we, like Abraham, believe God?